There we go. Matthew chapter 27. Hit the right buttons and we'll be good. And uh, we're down now through uh, to, we're going to start at verse 11. Uh, but uh, verse 11 is going to reach back up and connect with verse 2. Last time we went 3 through 10 there dealing with, uh, with Judas and the issues there. So verse 11 is going to reach back up to verse 2, so start reading in verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So they're going to take him. They, they've done their thing. Now they're, they've had their ad hoc committees. They beat on him. They've got to the point where they can't really do anything officially to him. But So they take him off now, and they take him to the civil authorities. They take him over to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Verse 11, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. Basically, you said it. And it's important here now, as we uh, look at the scene, and we get the order of the events here. And in Matthew, we have, we, we have this jump around thing because it, it's portraying him as the king. There's, gonna, there's a reason why we're going to have the, we have limited information about what the Sanhedrin does with him. And yet now we're going to have a great detail about what Pontius Pilate is going to do and Barabbas and all of that. So, there's a, it's important to, that we have the details here, the timing of everything. So we're going to go rely on Luke and Luke 23 and John 8, 19 and 18 and some different passages to kind of fill in uh, the area here. Uh, so first, he's in the garden. <coughs> he's pray, he prays there with his disciples. He gets up. Judas betrays him. The, the, the mob comes and takes him. They take him to Annas' house. From there, he goes over to Caiaphas, where, he has that, where that mock trial happens. Uh, he's condemned, uh, and the actual persecution begins. He's brought before the Sanhedrin, where they condemn him. That's verse 1. And when they take, now they're going to take him to Pilate, which is where we're at here now. Pilate, uh, ha, he, he is um, going to do some things here. He's going to hear that uh, Herod is in town. And uh, Herod is uh, from up Galilee way, so Pilate's going to send him to send the Lord to Herod. Herod is going to really kind of just kind of goof around a little bit with him and then send him back to Pilate for the final trial. So you've got... Uh, Annas to Caiaphas, Caiaphas to Pilate, the Sanhedrin to Pilate, Pilate to Herod, Herod back to Pilate for the final uh, trial. And really, it's all a big mockery. It's all a big, uh, big uh, mess. And it's going to end result is he's going to be now delivered to Calvary. Uh, he's going to be delivered to be crucified. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be put in the hand of the Roman soldiers here. We'll see. And uh, the Roman soldiers don't have uh, knit gloved hands. They have rough and tumble hands, and they're going to crucify him. So uh, come over to Luke chapter 23. 
And, and again, we, we spent, in, in Luke and in John, we spent great time, detail, looking at this. So I just want to kind of go back and get the, uh, the tone and the tenor of everything here. And, and really, in Luke 23, we see the accusations that are made against him uh, that we don't see in Matthew 27. Uh, Luke 23, verse 1, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found, notice again, there's that this fellow, perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. Now, is that what Christ was doing? No, that, that's just a bold-faced lie. What did Christ say? Render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Don't, you know, he wasn't, Christ never said, don't give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. He, he said to render to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, but he also said, and to God, the things that belong to God. So this is, but yet this is what got Pilate's attention. Verse 3. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Now, that's exactly where we're at in Matthew 27 now, see? Matthew 27, if you look back there at verse 12. So when he says, You said it, that's where we're at. But there are three accusations in Luke 23, verse 2. If you go back to Matthew 27, 12, it says, and when, G when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Those accusations are listed in Luke for you. Matthew doesn't list them. He just says they happen. Luke get 23 there, chapter 23, gives us the accusations. But what did he do? Matthew, go, you, uh, I, we're in Matthew 27 now. What did he do? He answered nothing. Then said Pilate, verse 13, 27, 13, make sure we're in the right place. 27, 13, then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things thy, they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now, this is going to be very important here because... What is happening that Pilate doesn't realize, but the Lord does, is come over to Isaiah 53. Is what the Lord is doing is fulfilling Old Testament scripture. Pilate doesn't have any idea of why he's not speaking. Why he, he, he I mean, think about Pilate. He's just watched this guy get beat. He's being beaten. He's all, I mean, he's all, he's all cut up. He, he, he's bound, and, uh, you know, they bring him to him, beat up. They, here comes, I mean, here he is, and, he's, and they bring him in the pilot. You know, they could have said to Pilate, well, he resisted citizen's arrest. You know, you know, the old police thing, he fell down the stairs or he fell up the stairs, okay? You know, depending on which way you had to go. But see, he doesn't say that. Pilate looks at him, and he says, they're accusing you, and they're beating on you. What's the matter with you? Don't you hear what they are saying? Don't you? And you got nothing to say back? 
Well, Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and so on. You see, while he is being tried, he just remained silent. Just as Caiaphas accused him, and he didn't say a word. Now as Pilate, by the way, he doesn't say a word until they ask him about doctrine. When, they ask, when Pilate asks him about doctrine, then he answers. Okay? He's being numbered. He sits there quietly. He doesn't defend himself because he's being numbered with the transgression, transgressors. Anything he had to say was no comment, no. Some, you know, he's being numbered with the sinners. So when you come back to, to Matthew, actually come over to get the other passage, John 18. Look over here at John 18. Notice these guys. So when he's going to speak, it's going to be in response to some doctrine, and we'll see that as we go here. Um, so you got, I told you John 18, real quick, run back there to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 14. And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. The reason the governor marveled, the reason Pilate marveled, was because that all of the, transit, the stuff, and he's not defending himself, but the Lord is thinking Isaiah 53, 7, being quiet. Now, verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. So in Matthew, you got him not say, being interrogated by Pilate, not saying anything. And then all, we go move right to Barabbas. But there's some things that happen in between that. John 18 tells us some of those things. Luke 23 as well. So look at John 18 and verse 28. We'll start there. All right? So if you think about it, verse 27, Peter has denied the cock crow. Verse 28, then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. So he's taking them, he's taking them to the governor's place. But watch these guys. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Look at the religious muckety-mucks here. They are more worried about the ceremonial correctness of going into the judgment hall, which was Gentile-infected, rather, and, <laughs> and their own cleanliness and their own sanctified state of mind you know, they didn't want to touch the unclean thing. They were more worried about being disqualified from eating the Passover than they were of killing an innocent man. They, they won't go into the judgment hall where that could happen, but yet they're still going to kill the Son of God. They're still going to do that. Now watch verse 29. Pilate then went out unto them and said, 
What accusation bring ye against this man? Notice something that's going to happen here. Verse 29, Pilate went where? He went out to them. So if you think about this room being the judgment hall, the Lord's brought in. The, the accusers are sitting out there. They don't want to come in to, to defile themselves. So Pilate has to leave. He, I mean, he probably wasn't standing up here like this. He was probably sitting. He gets up. He goes out there to them, and he says, What accusation bring? What are you going to do here? Verse 30. They answered and said him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him. We wouldn't have sent him to you if he wasn't a criminal. We would not have wasted your time, oh, oh, Lord Governor Pontius Pilate. We would have never messed this, you know, they're pulling that old, you know, pious thing, self-righteous thing. Then said Pilate unto them, verse 31, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. If he did something to you guys, why don't you take care of him? And what you're going to do is you're going to see this is the first time Pilate tries to, tries to deal with Christ. Pilate, four times, there's four ways that he tries to deal with the Lord down through here. The first one is this, this carelessness. Just he's not, if, if he's your problem, why aren't you dealing with it? Verse 31, again. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye, take ye him, and judge him according to your way. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. We can't do that. We need you to do that. You see, Pilate tries to put it back on them. Now, they didn't hesitate to kill Stephen in, this, in Acts 7. Pilate put it back onto them, and he says what? We don't want it. Back to you. <laughs> and what you see here is you see the cleverness of the religious leaders in getting the government to do the enforcement, to do their dirty work. And uh, when you see religion bind itself to government to accomplish its purposes, and th that's what you have here, you see, that's why when our founding fathers came over, they saw that in England. It was called the Pope and the Church of Rome and the Church of England and how powerful it was because it had connected itself to the king. So they come over and what they try, they, they established a separation of church and state. Not because it's a bad thing, but because that's, they didn't want that to be the outcome. Uh, again, you see the Pope today, you know, he doesn't have much political pull, but yet he does have political pull in certain arenas. By the way, Daniel 6, you remember how they got Daniel and the Daniel in the lion's den? They couldn't get him on anything. They had to go get, remember Cyrus signed the decree? And, and that if you pray three times, you know, if you pray to somebody, this and that, and they say, ah, he's praying, he broke the word of the Mede. And they threw him in, they threw him in there. See, they tricked him. They used the government to do their dirty work. They got him on charges of religion. And that's what's happening here, 1832. That was a great year, by the way. 1832. 
that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. The Jews are trying to get Rome to kill him so they won't be responsible. They're trying to get someone else to do their dirty work. Pilate has said, I'm not interested in it. You do it. And they said, no. And what's going to happen here is, is God is going to use the wrath of men, as the verse say, to praise him. But how is Christ supposed to die, according to the prophetic scriptures? Psalms 22. He's to be what? Crucified. You see, he, he, he's going to die by having his, his hands and his feet pierced. If the Jews killed him, how are they going to kill him? By stoning. But if the Romans kill him, what are they going to do to him? They're going to crucify him. So there's an issue here of this back and forth, well, that's going to trans... It's going to end result in Rome getting him and hanging him on the tree. Verse 33, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And so think about this. Pilate goes out. They say, We can't do it. You got to do it. He goes, No, he's not. So then he comes back into Jesus and he says to Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Now watch verse 34. Jesus answers, Well, is he the king of the Jews? Is that doctrinally correct? It is, so what is, but what is his answer? Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of, of me? <laughs> did you come to, that own, to your own conclusion, or did you listen to those blowhards out there in the courtyard? How is this? Now, that, he, that's a sarcasm. Uh, growing up, we were always told, don't be a smart aleck, you know, and that's what he's being here to him. However, don't misunderstand what's happening here. Verse 35, Pilate answers him, am I a Jew? Who do you think I am? Am I one of those sorry good-for-nothing Jews out there? I mean, Pilate's a Roman. He doesn't have any high esteem of the Jews at all. Thine own, verse 35, thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Pilate is getting aggravated. One, he's got to go out. He's got to go back and forth, back and forth. But he's also gotten up pretty early in the morning. So he, you know, he's used to sleeping in until 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, and they got him up about 6 a.m., sunrise. So he's not being very uh, complimentary here. Verse 35 Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Again, greatly misunderstood verse, statement here. Uh, that has been taken to mean that since his kingdom is not of this world, therefore his kingdom will not be a literal, physical, visible, earthly kingdom, but it's going to be in the hearts of men. And that's not what he's saying. When he says, my kingdom is not of this world, he's talking about 
it doesn't originate in this world. It's the kingdom of heaven, right? If my kingdom were of this world, okay? It's, it's the kingdom of heaven. It's not a kingdom on the earth here. I, in other words, Rome isn't giving me authority to say what I'm saying. It's a kingdom that's coming from heaven to be set up on the earth. But now, it's not hence from hence hence. In other words, the issue is, is where does the kingdom come from? His kingdom doesn't come from the power of from Rome or from any other Gentiles around him. His kingdom is coming from God, and it's not time for that kingdom to come yet. We're still waiting for the second coming and all of that. So verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that, uh, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. In other words, Pilate, you said that I'm a king, and what I'm saying is bearing witness to the truth. Yes. Even now, it is their responsibility to identify who he was. And they're failing. He's made it abundantly clear to Israel, his people. They were to bear testimony that he is what? The king, the Messiah. And yet, what did they do to him? They're condemning. He says he's the king. They should have come in, said, yep, there he is. He's matching all the scripture. They don't. They take him and turn him over to Rome, to the Gentiles. Pilate comes in and says, they say you are king. Are you? And if you say I am the king, I'll say yes. That's what the Lord say. Again, the back and forth here. Everyone, the end of verse 37, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Verse 38, Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? He is not asking a question there. It is a, Pilate is saying, I don't have any use for the truth. What's truth? What good is truth in this matter? He wasn't asking, you know, what, what is truth? Show me the truth. And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them all, I find in him no fault at all. Again, what did Pilate have to do? Get up, go out. He's irritated. Every time Pilate announces the judgment, by the way, you know what he says? He's innocent. Every time he pronounces him, it's innocent, innocent, innocent. He's innocent. And at this point, now, come, come over with me to Luke 23. Luke 23. At this point here, in all of this back and forth, Luke 23, Pilate hears something. And what he's going to hear here now is something that he, he's a master, crafty, well, they called Herod the fox. That's what Pilate is. He hears something, and in the political ear, he says, you know what, I have a new approach here. Again, first he's tried to be careless, he's tried to not care about it, he's tried to, to, to just kind of push it back on the Jews, 
who cares about this? You do, you do, I don't. I don't have a part in this. You take him. You know, he's innocent. I'm not interested in him. But look at Luke 23, verse 4. Because right after this great exchange that we just read in John 18, Luke 23, 4, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were more fear, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Do you see what he just heard? Well, verse 6, if it helps you out. When Peter heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged, he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was at Jerusalem at the time. Notice that. What did old, what did old Pilate, he's looking for a way out. Number two here, hey, he, he's wrong jurisdiction. He belongs to Herod. Hey, this guy's from Galilee. Let's send him off. And you know what he does? He sends him over to Herod, verse 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him for a long season. Why? Because he had great faith in him? No, because he had heard many things of him and hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him, questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. Notice how the Lord handled Herod. Herod is not asking doctrinal issues. Him being the king and that kingdom coming, that's all doctrine. The Lord's dealing with that. But here, Herod isn't. Herod's looking for a gimmick. And he answers him, nothing. Christ was going to only bear witness to the truth. But nobody said or asked him anything that he could respond to. Verse 10. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Vehemently. They didn't just, I mean, they are, mad, they are hot, they are angry. And Herod, with his men of war, uh-oh, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Pilate's got him back on his hands now. Here he comes. But notice they mock him. You say you're the king? Let's put a robe on you. Let's, let's, they, again, they mock him. Men of war. The Lord Jesus Christ is now in the hands of a professional soldier. Some of the most rugged hands to hand, I mean, you think about hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's who these guys were. These, these men weren't used to handling their prisoners uh, nicely. So Christ physically, his physical conditioning, his condition is steadily getting, it's deteriorating, it's getting worse. Now come back to Matthew 27. Now Pilate is going to get clever and come up with another scheme. That's where we're at in 15. So between 14 and 15 with Barabbas now, you've got Pilate Dealing with them, sending him over to Herod, Herod sending him back. Now in verse 15, now at the feast of the governor was wont to release, uh, now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a no, notable prisoner called Barabbas. 
Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate asked unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Pilate has. He saw the con coming a mile away. He saw exactly what they were up to before they ever opened their mouth, and it was envy. And that's why he says, what's going, that's why he says over there, what is truth? Truth is not even in the room, because this is all about political power, politics, government. That's why over there in John 19, a little later, Pilate's going to say, don't you know I have power to crucify you? And I also have power to release you? See, the only issue here is power and clout. Who can get the things done and what are you willing to do to get them done? Truth hasn't anything to do with what's happening here. He knew these guys had delivered him for envy. Every time he tries to do something here, he's got him. Now, Barabbas. Barabbas is an interesting guy. The word Barabbas, bar, son, is, 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 uh, means the son. Abbas, Abba, okay, father. So it's the son of the father. And really what a mockery of that name because he was a notorious prisoner. That's what he, they say there. He was notable. Come over to uh, John 18 on your way to Luke 23 again. John 18. Notice John 18, verse 40. 1840. Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. First of all, he's a thief. That's who he is, Luke 23. Here, here's some more on him, verse 18, Luke 23, 18. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast in the prison. If you drop down, look at verse 25. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Here's a really nice guy, isn't he? He's in Jerusalem robbing and killing and promoting rebellion, and that's sedition. And he's probably, he probably was their enemy number one. They got him. Pilate says, this is the man. You want this guy? Enemy number one? Or do you want Jesus? And he's an innocent man. By the way, Herod said there's no, there's no manner of death in this guy. <laughs> See? They're not going to want to get... He figures they're not going to want Barabbas back. So they'll say kill Barabbas. This is his scheme. They'll say keep Barabbas and let Jesus go. That's what they should say. Look at this guy's rap sheet. I'll offer him Barabbas, and they'll take Jesus instead because 
he's, he's doing nothing but good, miracles and the healings and everything. You know, and yet what did they say? Nope, let Barabbas go, kill Jesus. Barabbas is an interesting character. He, he, um, come back to Matthew 27. He, he's an, he, Barabbas is an expression, if you will, of the spirit of this world, of the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, murder, sedition, robbery. You know, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, but he was also a robber. He, he robs men of their souls and their life, but he was, a, but he was also a murderer. Sin kills. It's a killer. It's a, it's a, it's a rebel. And Barabbas is an expression of the fact that the spirit of Satan, the satanic policy of evil, was the one who Israel actually loved and accepted. He represents the very thing that Israel loved and uh, chose as to oppose their Messiah. And uh, you really can't blame Israel because... You know, we've all dealt with unsaved people, and what do they like to do? They like to oppose what God's doing. And Israel was in that case, and uh, that's where they're at. And again, you and I, we can see ourselves in Barabbas a lot because we've been there. But you have old Barabbas, and what a mess. Matthew 27, look at verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude. Notice that. They persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and and what? Destroy Jesus. Look at that. These guys, they put when Pilate puts up Barabbas and Jesus before the people, the chief priests and the elders the very people who are in charge of overseeing everything, you know what they do? They go in and they persuade the people. Now, I don't know about you, but what would persuade people? It's called a stimulus check. It's called a, hey, let, you know, you, you, you need this covered for, you know, high, uh, uh, the, the Lord says over there that they, they, they uh, eat up the widows' houses and all that. They destroy. Hey, we'll take care of, of your husband over here. You just say Barabbas. Let him go. You just say crucify Jesus. And we'll take care of everything else over here. How much you, do you need? How much does your kid need that surgery? How much does that cost again? Yeah, we'll just. And they persuade. They go in and they, they come. They go in and they have. They're the snakes in the grass, if you will. They persuade the people. The leaders of the nation are the ones doing this. And that's what's sad about it. Look at verse 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife, now here's ploy number three, sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that Notice what his wife says, just man. For I, have suffered, uh, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. About the time Pilate has figured out everything that's going on, you know what his wife says? Comes in and says, don't get hooked up into this guy. Wash your hands of this as fast as you can. 
Every testimony that Pilate had about Christ, every testimony that was ever again given is that he's what? Innocent. He's a just man. Judas said, I betrayed innocent blood. Pilate says, I found no fault in him. Pilate's wife says he's a just man. Herod said he's not worthy of death, Luke 23, 15. Pilate sent him to Herod. Herod sent him back and said there's nothing worthy of death in the man. The guy, the, the malefactors, the thieves on the cross, the one says he should not be here. We're guilty of what we did. He's not. Seven times, the sevenfold testimony in the scripture, innocent, just, righteous, there it is. He hasn't done anything wrong. So as you read here down through the rest of this chapter, the only good thing about the account is that it's brief. The horrors that are going to be described in just one or two little words in this passage are enough to turn your stomach when you think about them. Several years ago, Mel Gibson did that movie... Uh, the passion, thank you. And people were clamoring to it like it was a gospel message. And it wasn't. But it sure showed the brutality of what the Lord went through. Verse 21, the governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, let him be crucified. Now they're going to say this, and over in the other accounts, they said, we'll have no other king but Caesar. And here you have the judge, the, the governor, standing in front of this big old mob, and you know what he said? What would you have me do? He's the judge. He's the, he's the final say. He, but you know what Pilate was? A coward. That song, Coward of the County, here he is. He's the one. He's the one that caved to the mob. He's the one. He, he's a Roman governor. And he's the one that says, hey, you make the decision for me. What do you want me to do? And they say, crucify him. We'll have no other king. By the way, when they, have, when, he, when they say we'll have no other king but Caesar, they literally turned over the kingdom to the Gentiles. Fifth course of judgment. It's gone. They have no claim to the kingdom any longer. They've let it go. But you see that, see in that verse... 22, where Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? That, when he says, What shall I do then with Jesus? That's been called the life's greatest question. What shall we do with Jesus? We have a song in the hymn book about uh, what would you do with Jesus? And you think about that. When that question comes out of Pilate's mouth, Pilate was fumbling the ball, but yet so was Israel. 
And the Jews and the Gentiles here now join hands. They give the wrong answer, and all of the world became condemned. Verse 23, And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out, of the, out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. What evil has he done? No answer. Just hatred. And hatred for the Lord. When Pilate saw, verse 24, that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made. <laughs> He's the spineless guy, coward that did it. What does he do? He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Pilate wash, tries to wash his hands. He takes a basin of water. He stands out there on the front porch there, and he's doing something that's very significant in Israel's, uh, and Israel would be very familiar with it because it comes right out of their law, Deuteronomy 21. We're going to go look at it here in just a minute. And he washes his hands, and he says, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You're bearing witness to it. And what he's trying to do is that he's trying to wash the blood off of his hands. He, gives, he, he, gave, he gave up the Lord out of convenience. He did what he needed to do to keep the peace. He did what he had to do for unity. But you know what he says? I don't wash in his hands because I don't want to be guilty of this. And you know, Pilate's name is always associated with Calvary and Christ. They said, His blood be on us and on our children. That's it. He's guilty. And, th and that's all, really. He's guilty. The judge let the courtroom overturn the verdict. The verdict, by the way, was he's an innocent man. He's a just man. But the courtroom overturned the verdict that said, now we're going to do what? We're going to kill him. And for convenience sake and just to keep the peace, Pilate didn't fuss. He didn't put his hammer down. He didn't gavel it closed and done he says alright you just take him go to it go to it see ye to it the end of verse 24 and you know what a lot of people die that way and a lot of people fall that way in our Christian lives just to keep the peace just to make it okay just to make everything right let's just forget about what the word says and who we're talking about and that's what Pilate did now think about what he says here verse 25 then answered all the people and said his blood be on us and our children come over to the book of Acts Acts chapter 4 because it's an interesting thing here Acts 4 and verse 27 Acts 4 27 Peter has been up and preaching and doing in the Spirit and so forth. Verse 27, 
for a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast appointed both Herod, whom thou hast appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Notice he got everybody. Herod could have stopped it, but he joined in on the, the mockery. Pilate, the Gentiles, the soldiers, all that helped, and Israel, what did they do? They delivered him up. They're all blood guilty. They're all guilty. Now come over to chapter 5 and watch verse 27. Again, Peter's nailing them. Peter gets these guys, they, he... In early Acts, you read down through Pete. Pete doesn't let his foot off the pedal. You killed him. He got that message out in chapter 2, and he just keeps pushing it. Verse 27, Acts 5, 27. And when they had brought them, they sent before the, uh, they, and, and set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name. That's Jesus of Nazareth. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What? Wait a minute. They just told Pilate less than a year that what? His blood be on our hands and our children will bear that responsibility, will bear the responsibility for this. There's Peter and John and James, and they're holding their feet to the fire of that claim. They're thrown, they're in being persecuted because what are they filling Jerusalem up with? You guys killed the Messiah, and his blood's on your head. <laughs> you see, folks, they, you know, you, I've always said around here, if, if if you want to do something, you want to be in charge of something, take responsibility for it. Don't get something started and then kick it over to me to fix it when it falls apart. Be responsible. They, that's, come back to Luke 11. They're not doing that here. They are, they're passing the buck. They're saying, no, nope, 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 you don't. They are, as in today's vernacular, rewriting history. See. Look at Luke 11. Look at verse 50. They got some problems coming to them. Watch this. That, uh, da, 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 da. Verse 49. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them, some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zach Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. The blood. What, what was Abel's? What was Abel? He was an innocent man. The blood of the innocent man. You go back up and verse. He's talking about the second coming, the latter days. And in light of Calvary, they'll, they will clear themselves from the murder 
of the Messiah. And you know what? They're not going to get away with it. And that un unbelieving nation, that apostate nation of Israel, is going to suffer doom and gloom. If you come back up and look, you're in, you're in Luke 11 there. Come back to, well, I lost the passage. Where did it go? The blood's on them. Come back to Deuteronomy 21, where this washing of the, the washing of the hands, show you that. Deuteronomy 21, when Pilate does this, that's where we're at. Look at Deuteronomy 21. There's something very significant for Israel in all of this. Deuteronomy 21. Look at verse 1. Uh, if one be found slain in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess, to possess it, lying in the field, and it be not known who hath slain him, then the elders and thy judges shall come forth, and they shall measure unto the cities which are round about him that is slain. And it shall be that the city which is next unto the slain man, even the elders of that city, shall take a heifer which hath not been wrought with and which hath not drawn in the yoke. He's, so they go down, they got a dead guy outside of the city. Where did they kill Christ? Outside of the city. So they look to the closest city. What's the closest city to Calvary? Jerusalem. Verse 7. By the way, verse 4, verse 5, And the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near for them. The Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him, and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. And all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain men shall wash their hands over the heifer, which is beheaded in the valley. So you've got the, the regulations, the ceremony that's going to happen here uh, involved in that, the, the, the slaying of the person here. Verse 7, And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood under the people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. The blood, the blood of what? An innocent man. So verse 7 and 8 is the confession that the nation of Israel will have to make in the latter days, in the tribulation, when in light of Calvary, they're going to try and clear themselves of the murder of the Messiah and yet that unbelieving nation is, is they they are doomed. Verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father. <laughs> there, there, the, so there's not going to be some instruction about a prodigal son, a stubborn and rebellious son picturing that unbeliever unbelievers in the nation that are going to suffer the doom. And they're going to suffer the doom here of that stubborn and rebellious, in the picture of the stubborn and rebellious son. And what ends up happening is, is that they get cut off. They get put away. They're, they are to be destroyed. But in the second coming of Christ, that's when all that happens, 
who's going into the kingdom? That believing remnant, see? Who's going into Jerusalem? The believing remnant. Look at verse 22. Again, the, the subject of this passage is innocent blood. And the content in verse 21 to 23 here is about the guy hanging on a tree. Verse 21, and all the men of this, of this uh, uh, so you've got the rebellious and stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of this father. Verse 19, they, they're to bring the kid to the elders of the city. Verse 20, and the, the city will... Uh, well, the elders of the city will give their verdict. Verse 21, And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones, that, that he die, so that thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man hath committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to, put, uh, be, to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he, for he that is hanged is accursed of God, that, they hang, land, uh, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And there's Galatians 3. Because the passage here tells you that if a man hangs on a tree, he's what? He's accursed. And Paul picks that up and says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ has been made a curse for us. So the context of the guy hanging on a tree, need, by the way, needs to be taken down that day, you know, before the night, which is what they're going to do to Christ. The city nearest to where Christ dies, Jerusalem. He dies right outside of Jerusalem. The leaders and the elders are to go outside of the city into the there and, and do look, look back up at verse 4. What are they going to do? The elders of that city shall bring down the heifer into a rough valley, which is neither eared nor sown, and shall strike off the heifer's neck there in the valley. All the elders of that city, verse 6, they, that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer that is beheaded in the valley, and they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto, the, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of, Israel, of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. The blood, that's exactly what Matthew 27 is. It's the blood of an innocent man. That's what Judas calls it. There's a ceremony right here where Israel's going to, that Israel is going to perform, but until the nation performs that ceremony outside of Jerusalem, down in that rough valley, the Valley of Gehenna is where we're talking about, prior to the second coming of Christ, guess what? It's not going to be official. It isn't going to get them off the hook. They're guilty. They're guilty for shedding innocent blood. And you know, when you come back here to Matthew 27, when Pilate does that, he doesn't know any of what we just read. <laughs> but Israel does. And the leaders see it. And when the leaders see him washing his hands, they still cry, crucify, crucify. But when you see Pilate there washing his hands, you really see a reluctant Gentile. 
doing what Israel should have done and should have been doing. And, and one day they will do when they recognize Christ as their Messiah. Matthew 27, I'm in Romans 7, that doesn't help us. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail, nothing. But that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude. He's trying to get rid of the guilt. That's what he's trying to do. And uh, he, he, it's not going to fare well. So, verse 25, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Now, we'll start in 26 and work our way down some more in the passage here. I just wanted you to see the events. Matthew doesn't have all of them in there because he's, he's more concerned about the king and Pilate and what the govern, governor was doing. Luke 23, John 18 adds in the details. There's this great back and forth. And then you see Pilate just come in and do what the law of Israel said to, be, to do. And uh, Israel just sits there in blind fury, a rage. Let Barabbas go. Let the son of the father go, but let's kill the son of the father. And they're just... And Pilate, he's an innocent man. He's a just, but see, Pilate is your typical politician. What's going to keep the vote coming and what's going to keep me in, in power? And let's do that instead. Okay? All right, we'll pick up in verse 26. He says, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had... Scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of, the, of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head, and after they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own garment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of, of, of uh, Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Every word in that passage right there leads a great, should leave a great, chill up your back on what they're doing to him. It's not a, it's not a just a, a overnight stay in the, in the drunk tank. They're beating on him and they're scourging him. And we'll get into all that next time, okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the passage here, for the look into the events around your crucifixion, the crucifixion of your son. And we just sit in awe of what he went through to be made our sin and to pay our sin payment. And all that you require of us is to be thankful for that, to trust him, to believe him, and to say thank you. And that we do. In your name we pray. Amen.